dog. If there's anything worse than the, than yesterday's lukewarm diet Pepsi, I'd like to know. Can you imagine W.C. Fields drinking tab? Come on, bring it up. My mama done told me when I was in knee pants, a woman's a two-face. Oh, 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 hear that lonesome whistle. La da 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 dee dee hooey from hooey to hooey a clickety clack comes echoing back. Hey, was there ever such a song? Really? Oh no, I didn't think so. I couldn't end them all. No, they were a silly song. <laughs> it's funny. Have you ever had your head to make up uh, you know totally non-existent songs? I mean, you know, songs that you know couldn't conceivably be written by any sane world. Like, uh, the other day, for example, I'm standing in the elevator, you know, and uh, I spend a good deal, anybody who lives in New York spends a good deal of time standing around in elevators with that funny look on your face that you develop for standing around in elevators, you know, especially the ones that, you know, they got all those buttons and there's nobody in there but you and you're surrounded by, uh, by Formica and Muzak and uh, your head starts going out to lunch and uh, you start thinking of Jean-Paul Sartre's plays called No Exit and you think for a you know, my God, have I died? Is this elevator going to go on and on and on throughout all eternity? Is this elevator going up to the great, the great bargain fourth floor of existence? Am I heading towards the notion counter of, of, uh, of, uh, depravity? Oh my God. And then your head starts doing these things, see, like, uh, the other day. There couldn't be a song like this. There couldn't be. Just out of the blue, my head starts saying, I met a million-dollar baby in a five-and-ten-cent store. I was buying china. La -da -da a million-dollar baby in a five-and-ten-cent store. What kind of madness is this, buying china in the dime store? I was buying china. la da da tee 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 la da 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 tee tee And then the door went shunk And I was on the 87th floor. And I knew that I was home safe. It was a real elevator, a real elevator, and I was not heading towards the notion counter. I simply bought the tea, 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 tea. Is that all the gain you can get on that? Nothing's working in this studio tonight. Can you hear me out there, folks? Anybody who's... No, no, I'm not talking to you. I don't give a damn whether you guys hear me. Of course, this monitor speaker. Oh, let's blow the horn here. Is anybody hearing us out there tonight? Hello, test. One, two, three, four. Hello, test. We're, uh, we're, we're, this is a transmission test. Is anyone hearing us out there? If you are, please uh, give us a check out there. We're checking out our... Hold it there. Hold it there. Checko. Now, let's try it on the other table. I think that table is giving you trouble, friend. If I put two eyes of blue and anybody seen my game... No, they just, uh, just uh, these things keep coming back. Was there ever such a song? Now, again, I'm standing the other day in a line, this time at the Chock Full of Nuts. It's when your head uh, begins to... We're, we're, just hold on a minute there. We're going to run some tests here, technical tests. Let's try this uh, turntable, see if there's any difference here. Let's try that one. There, see? Okay, make out a report. All right, there we go. Shepard spotted another problem. Gucci 
Just uh, have to have to say something here before we get started here. <laughs> that was very nice. Did you see the way we correct those uh, technical difficulties here with no problem at all? All it takes is a little uh, what we call a knowledge of general systems. Hey, you know, speaking of the knowledge of general systems, have any you know anybody out there? I just like to ask a question of you. Uh, you know, just a rhetorical. Uh, has anybody? Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I, uh, by the way, got seven offers today to produce my fantastic new musical, The Pentagon Papers. And uh, three of the the uh, producers who called suggested we call it the Pentagon Paper Caper, which uh, would kind of add a little pizzazz, you know, a little bit of it, a little, uh, you know, a little showbiz swing to the title like that. And, and uh, curiously enough, they anticipated one of the big hit songs that we have written in uh, in the second act. Have you noticed now that guys write hit songs before they're even heard? You know, nobody even knows, but Stephen Sondheim has written another big hit song. It'll be heard for the first time next week. Uh, <laughs> like a Jacqueline Suzanne has just penned another bestseller. It will be it will be on the stands in three months. La da I guess that's a genre of of uh, writing. No longer does it have anything to do with selling. It's a genre. La Even if it only sells twelve copies, it's in the genre of bestseller. Genre. But you remember remember him? He was a uh, he was a uh, fictional sleuth. Jacques Genre, Professor Inspector Jacques Genre of the Sorette. Yeah, it was an Agatha Christie character. You remember him? See, see, you know what's happening to me? I'm sinking in a sea of, of, uh, of hot-crossed puns. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's Lenten season, you know. My <laughs> God. That was uh, kind of bad, wasn't it? It certainly was. I mean, once you get hooked on that pun thing, you can't help it, you know. It's, it's a hobby with some guys. Some guys ultimately just... Just to completely go to pieces, punning their way down until finally they throw the dirt over them and they put the headstone up, and even the headstone contains a pun. Uh, you, you just can't they can't fight it. It's like it's like hobbies. Did, did I ever tell you that I have this friend uh, whose hobby is uh, gaining and losing weight? And uh, yeah, it gives him a, a goal, and he has three complete wardrobes, you know, for his hobbies. You know, it's all prepared for his hobby. He's got the wardrobe, what he calls his slob wardrobe. This is when he's at the peak of his, uh, you know, as a, a peak obesity operator. And then he, he has the middle wardrobe as he's working his way down. And uh, you know what he figures now? He figures that in, since 1969 alone, he has lost over two and a half tons of blubber. And uh, oddly enough, he's gained two and three quarter tons of blubber. Uh, so it's it's and and he says in in uh, in retrospect it's been a satisfying career and he's uh, he's he's lost and gained many things and uh, this is his hobby now I I don't put a person down for their hobby no no oh no no if if encounter groups are your hobby go to it 
Uh, just don't grab my Aunt Clara's elbow. Uh, she's got a problem there. She one time banged it on my uncle's uh, car door, and ever since that time, it's been very sensitive, and if she ever gets into an encounter group and somebody grabs her elbow, it's going to be bad news. Uh, well, look, I'm going to demonstrate this to Mr. Dowd. He's wondering how to get a rating. All right, Earl, watch this. Please, bring this on. Please, watch. Watch this. This is the way it's done. Now watch her. Yeah. Oh, five foot two, eyes are blue. Oh, oh what does my do do do? Oh, what she can do? Has anybody seen? Has anybody seen my gal pooper do pooper do do do? Oh, turned out hose. Flapper, yes sir. Has anybody seen my gal? Ba 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 da ba. Ba ba ba. message. All right, there's a special message that just came into the studio uh, for me. Is it on the phone? Well, where do I get it? Oh, a special message. Yeah. Getting any, Bessie? Nothing seems to be God, working. That was a pretty I, I know what the trouble is. They're bone dry so you put Earl Dowd on. That Banana Paradise radio program on WR really turns them on. Well, Maybe just turn it on. down, will you? Earl Dowd Banana Paradise. Thank you. Hi, this is Earl Dowd, and welcome to <laughs> Banana Paradise on WOR. Tonight, my guests are Raquel Welch, Spiro T. Agnew, Bugs Bunny, a well-rounded fan. I hope you'll be with us for a while. Oh, oh, come out, it's a regular gusher. Oh, my God, it's here again. Oh, my God, it's here again. Oh, my God, it's has anybody seen my gal? This is W.O.R. New York speaking of gushers. Has anybody seen my gal? I say, uh, friend, cut out, uh, get out the floor, Earl. Okay. A little stomach trouble there. Uh, do you need uh, tires, friends? He's on the banana diet, you know. Three bunches a day. Has anybody seen my gal? You need the tires, gang. Of course you do. Sure. You know, we're getting to be such a mobile society that they're now making shoes in the form of little tiny white walls. As anybody, so everybody feels like, you know, bumpers and all. See the men at your local general tire headquarters. They're trained to handle all your tire and automotive service needs. These guys will leap at your car like a bunch of grasshoppers. Climb all over it, squeaking and yelling. And they'll do it quickly and economically. Remember, from sports cars to sedans, compacts to limousines, General Tire makes the tires you need, and it prices you, even you, with your limited budget. You walking around with no scratch can easily afford. I would suggest you see your local General Tire headquarters where you see that big General Tire G. And by the way, we'd like to recommend the visit to Bob McCormick. He's a little short man with a fat cigar over there with a funny round hat. State Line Tire, 80 Westport Avenue in Norwalk. Fashionable Norwalk. Thank you. Five foot two. Uh, you can tell I'm a pro. My God. Eyes are blue. Uh, some lucky New Yorkers, like the theater and television celebrities <laughs> who work nearby, and those elegant folk who nightly entertain you on the radio, can drop into the House of Chan any time. <laughs> lucky people. And others come to celebrate special occasions. Uh, they come to the house on 7th Avenue and 52nd Street. 
because it is a truly great Chinese restaurant. Sir, House of Chin. That's where Charlie got that fantastic pot belly that used to stick out in front of him and brought him into the movies. Five foot two, eyes of blue. Always a unique, exciting dining experience. And by the way, they have a nice bar there, so you can mix your you can mix your stingeroonies with the wonton soup and you know go into seventh uh, thing there, whatever it is that the level of consciousness is that you do in China. On 7th Avenue and 52nd Street, that's one of the great ideas of Eastern Man. Open seven days a week. The House of Chen. A little echo chamber, please. The House of Chen. Another thriller brought to you by Hammer Productions. The evil House of Chen, where death lurks at every corner. Where a master scientist creates the potion that will destroy the world. For parental guidance only, remember playing at your neighborhood theaters, The House of Chan, starring Christopher Lee. Five foot two, eyes of blue. Has anybody ever seen my gal? What a dog. Five foot two, eyes of blue. Well, you gotta settle for whatever you can get. Has anybody seen my gal? She's got yellow tears. Lop-eared and fuzzy, fuzzy hair. Her knees are bowed. But oh my, can she ding-a-ding-ding-ding? Has anybody seen my gown? Oh, oh, excuse me, I just got a note here. Uh, you you realized the other night that... Hey, do you mind if I, I, I read a funny little thing here? I mean, it'd be, be, <laughs> be your guest, huh? Uh, you think this isn't organized? Don't kid yourself. It has an iron-bound structure. Yes, sir. It's solid, and, and uh, it's got a it's got a structure like the uh, like the uh, the uh, oh uh, oh I forgot. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's hanging there like a grape. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. This is a great little story. For forty-three years, Robert Little Guy Miller. Did you read about Little Guy Miller? You didn't. Don't tell me. This is one of the great uh, public uh, human stories of our time. Make a great little movie, you know, starring the late Edmund Gwen. By the way, uh, what did what did Edmund Gwen become famous as? What did he play? For years, he was just a little uh, he was a little uh, bit player in that, you know, play little roles in that. And all of a sudden, he starred in a movie in his last years. What a great story! He was this fantastic smash. Do you remember him? And what did he play? Wait a minute. Give me that. No, no. He did not play Minnie Mouse. What's this? Oh, yeah. Well, that's right. He was. But there was another one that he made before that that made him a star. Yes, he was a counterfeiter. But what was the one he played that made him a real big star just before that? All right. We'll keep that later. That'll come next semester. I admit that's advanced sociology and... uh, and uh, that's a little beyond the scope of the class at this point. However, uh, you can understand this one. For 43 years, Robert Little Guy Miller rode to work at the Bethlehem Steel Company plant on a battered 1927 motorcycle. And the 63-year-old electrician retired last Wednesday. After all those years, 43 years riding out to the mill on his 1927 motorcycle, and they called him Little Guy, his little squirt, you know, tough little guy, when Miller, dressed in work clothes and wearing his felt hat, stepped out of his home to go to work. Nobody told him about it. He was on his last day. He walked out of his little house, put on his old felt hat that he'd been wearing since 1932, walked out of his home to go to work, to get on his motorcycle, a sleek black and gray Rolls Royce was waiting out in the front for him. Good morning, sir, said the chauffeur as he opened the door. Your car is here, sir. Miller was so surprised, he nearly forgot his lunch. Two jelly sandwiches packed in a brown paper bag by his wife, Anna. Boy, the big guys are going to wonder what this is all about, was all he could tell his surprised co-workers when the magnificent Rolls Royce pulled up at the gate of the giant steel plant. And Miller got out carrying his jelly sandwiches. And went to work for the last day. 
I could just see one guy, the, one, one of the big guys, see, uh, in the cost accounting department, labor relations division, looking out of the window of his uh, velvet, his velvet uh, cushioned office uh, with all the beautiful stained glass and uh, hot and cold running secretaries, and he sees this, this magnificent silver and black rolls pull up in front of the plant, and little guy Miller gets out with his, his uh, paper bag full of uh, jelly sandwiches. At that point, he says, J.D., get over here! Come here! J.D., take a look! This is what's happening to the labor market in this country! Take a look at that! And those crumbs, they want another contract! Look at that! Look at that! Five foot two, eyes of blue. Little old, little old, little old Miller, he rides to work in style today, yeah. He almost forgot his jelly sandwiches in a paper bag, but he rode to work in style with his hat. Oh, what are them big guys going to say when Miller drives up to the plant, wearing his hat, carrying his sandwiches, riding big and tall with a man in a black suit out in front, and push that car around with one of them funny hats with a shiny bicycle. Has anybody seen Miller today? Yeah, he's living down in Jamaica, smoking big fat $10 cigars. He's betting 400 bucks on every race. Yeah. Little old Miller made it all the way. Riding in big black limousines. Has anybody seen that 1927 Indian motorcycle? Five foot two, eyes of blue, but a good strong union. Five foot two, eyes of blue, but plenty of clout with the steward in the shop. Yeah, five foot two, eyes of blue. Little old Miller rides high white heads. We got to admire you for your, your stick to it in this Miller. Okay. I'm in a singing bag here. I don't know what's the matter here. It's a, a sure sign they, they claim of a dissolving head. That's right. You know, there's an, old, there's an old slogan in the musical comedy world. When in doubt, have somebody sing a song. That's when the whole thing is falling apart. Have somebody jump up on the table, you know, and sing the big hit song. Then they forget that the show is so rotten. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, of uh, rottenness, I, I must admit I did a bad thing last night. I, I did. Any of you here last night? Well, I admitted that one of the worst things, traumatic experiences in my early life, was cheating in school. Remember, I was caught with the thing on the wristwatch, and Miss Bryfogle very subtly pointed out that the. She noticed that the time on my watch was uh, September 23rd, 1815, which, curiously enough, of course, you know, was a watch that gives you the date. And uh, curiously enough, it was the time of the proposal of the Hanseatic League, whatever the hell that was. By the way, that league only lasted for two years. You remember when all the guys jumped from the NFL to that league for a while? Five foot two, eyes of blue. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, the next day, meaning today, I get this letter in the mail. Listen to this now. I don't often read letters, but listen to this. Now, look, uh, any of you kids that are listening out there tonight, please tell your old lady to get on to fix you a jelly sandwich. Get her out of the way, because I don't want you to, you know, let her know that you're hearing this kind of stuff. And tell the old man to go back down and turn on the TV set. There's a great Chester Morris movie coming on Channel 9 in five minutes. You can't miss it. It's only been on 422 times. You might as well make it 423 tonight, right? Now, guy writes me a note. He says, Shepard, I heard you talking about uh, cheating on tests. Glad you brought that up. It's one of our, uh, one of our spies. He says, you, of course, are aware, as uh, having gone to school like all the rest of us, that cheating is as much a public school institution as football, truancy, or low-quality cafeterias. It must be remembered... The cheating comes in many different forms and styles depending on the situation. I concede that. My, my cheating, because I'm basically such a square, straight guy, who, by the way, if I cut off my mustache, look a little bit like uh, some relative of George Papard, who's been out having a bad night on the town, who George Papard looks like most of the time. You know? Have you noticed that? There is a familiar resemblance. Look carefully. But, uh, oh, yeah. But uh, 
I'm sorry, there is. Uh, see, that's because we're, we're both very straight types. You know, firm handshake. We look people right in the eye. Even though he gives you a good sharp left as a result of it into the eye. But uh, this, uh, this uh, say, uh, my cheating experiences were primitive. Like, for example, another, another great experiment I had in cheating. Did you ever try writing stuff on the inside of the cuff of a long-sleeved shirt? Well, I tried that one, and I was caught by a teacher named Mr. Wilson. Unfortunately, I used uh, unwashable, permanent Scripps black ink, which, oh gosh almighty, friends, uh, not only wrote on the inside of my cuff, but soaked through and came out on the outside of my cuff. So here I'm sitting there with uh, 15 different uh, differential equation identities written all over my cuff. And Mr. Wilson says, oh, that's very nice. That's a very hip uh, uh, design, that shirt there. Most people have little roses and stuff and stripes on their shirt. But look at you. You've got the, hmm, quadratic equations. Very interesting. Come with me. And we went down to discuss shirts in Mr. Rupp's office. And I found out that uh, the cheating is not an easy thing. Either you're, either you're good at it or you're not. And if you're not, you better stay away from it. It's like, uh, you know, taking up heavyweight boxing. I mean, you better be good at it. Either that or you better quit it awful soon. Or a roof will fall in good. But he goes on to say the basic style in cheating, of course, for those of you who are interested in basics, is merely to look for the answer on someone else's test paper. Now that, of course, as you know, requires damn good eyesight. It requires a head that moves like a snake. And uh, you've, you've seen this uh, work. This is the, the old basic, just look over, <gasps> you know, and you write it down. Uh, this peekaboo style was quite popular with the more primitive hoods in our high school, who tended to sit in back of a smart guy during an exam. Should the smart guy's shoulder interfere with the hood's field of vision, the hood used his powers of persuasion to get the shoulder out of the way by gently saying to the smart guy, hey, move your shoulder, I'm going to stomp you, come on. Okay, this method of cheating had a chain reaction effect, unfortunately. Often, the smart guys usually sat in the front row so the guys directly in back of them would copy their answers, and right afterwards, the students in back of them would uh, copy the answer, and it would go all the way back to the last row in the class, right? However, one of the problem, uh, this would go on. Occasionally, though, some of the finer details were lost, as is often the case in long-range communication. So the guy in the back was getting totally cuckoo bird answers. <laughs> you know, the effect would be that if a test question in a history class asked what year the Battle of Hastings took place, the answer would gradually filter towards the rear of the class via the peekaboo method until the students in the back row were able to discern that 1066 was the desired answer. It would filter right on back. The best time to engage in the peekaboo style, of course, of cheating was when the teacher left the room. <laughs> what kind of school did he go to? Listen, the teachers not only never left the room when they were taking, taking exams in the high school I went to because of the type of student that went there, they would call in additional reinforcements whenever there was a test to be given. <laughs> Any teachers that happened to be laying around down in the teacher's restroom would be called in when Miss Breifogel was giving a history exam, and it would be a solid phalanx of teachers up and down the walls, all facing forward and each one watching three pupils and no more. They all carried rubber truncheons, too. The best time to engage, of course, uh, then she would put us on what, we, what, we, what she called our honor. Did you ever have a teacher said, I'm going to put you on your honor. I'll be back in five minutes. The 32 students in the class solemnly vowed that they would not cheat. As soon as the teacher left the class, of course, instantly, 32 heads leaned in the direction of the only guy in the class that had the answer. <laughs> of course, this method of cheating was not without its drawbacks. For one thing, practitioners of the peekaboo style often acquired a bad case of nearsightedness from attempting to spot tests at long distances. It was too easy to get caught. Frequently during a test, the teacher was heard to shout, Keep your eyes on your own paper! Now stop that! A dozen heads would snap back to desks to drift slowly in other directions a few minutes later. It's a good picture of school, you know. And uh, you want to hear more about that? The peekaboo method was practiced generally by the lower strata of high school society. 
Now, if all of you who know anything about high school life, and I presume most of you went at least a while to high school, realize that the high schools have a very, very closely uh, defined, clearly delineated strata system. You agree that? There is the lower strata, and they did things like looked at other guys' papers, you know, the dumb clods, like Doppler. Or said, hey, who? You'd hear him. He'd even, he, he was so dumb that when he would look over at somebody's paper and, get, and see the right answer, he would express vocally and aloud surprise, like, oh. And then he would lean back and write, which would louse up the entire row. And, and for that reason, Doppler became an untouchable and was relegated to the lowest strata of kids, you know. Uh, he says, we in the upper, higher caste looked down condescendingly upon the primitive methods of the lower orders. A more sophisticated method was, of course, to have informers tell you what was what on the test. Often the same test was given to all classes of a particular teacher. You know, because this is, oh, this is great when you have a teacher. As a result, the students taking a civics exam in the 8 o'clock class would immediately tell the 9 o'clock class what the test questions were. Intensive but rapid research was then undertaken by uh, various researchers in the class to find the correct answers. Because of this, the last period class usually had an amazingly high grade average on the exam when compared to the first period class. They were the pioneers. Pioneers always lose. It's a fact. They do. Uh, related to the informer method was the espionage system. Rather than rely on other students for the answers, some of the more courageous students secretly searched for the information directly from the teacher's records. My friend Karpovich and I once performed one of the most daring espionage coups in recorded high school history. We were taking a chemistry course in the 11th grade, and by the end of the term, we knew absolutely nothing about chemistry. How, you know, that I have, to, I have to intersperse here, a personal remark on that, that uh, a, a, a general belief grew among certain groups of students in my high school that people who could understand chemistry, and they were few, granted, but people who could understand chemistry were almost to a, a man, and I'm using the term man rhetorically, that also involves girl, were not to be trusted. Because, no, these people did not have logical minds. Anyone with a logical mind cannot understand chemistry. Now, a logical mind can understand, ultimately, algebra. But chemistry, no. Chemistry... Is, is, uh, is, has no logic in most of it. Now, I can, remember, I can remember Mr. Scott, my chemistry teacher, saying, Now, all right, now, boys and girls, get out. This is going to appear on the exam. Now, it's very important you understand this. Now, I'm going to give you, this afternoon, I'm going to give you uh, the carbon compounds, uh, the, the uh, carbon compounds that are found uh, commonly in nature. And these should be really memorized because these are quite common and are often used in chemical equations. Now, here are some of the carbon compounds which you find in nature. Uh, mark these in your notebook, and I will give them to you in their order of occurrence. And then... That's the sound of his chalk going on the board. Oxygen, sulfur... Sulfur, squared, cubed, plus H2O, plus, now are you getting all this? C prime 12 equals, well, this, tends to, this is a common occurrence in nature, well, and he would work his way down through 12 of these, and then at the end of that he would say then, however, there are many exceptions to the various rules I've been given to you. Now, uh, these exceptions must be memorized since uh, no one quite knows why they occur. This boggles the logical mind. When one adds one to three, one gets four, with no exception. There are no exceptions which must be, which must be memorized since nobody knows why they work. And for that reason, you just got to memorize them. So there were certain people who would accept this. These, by the way, were often quite religious people 
who also accepted other curious postulations and uh, various miracles, which incidentally chemistry always remained to me, without question. And so uh, <laughs> there were two groups of people, and there still remain, in my experience, two groups of people. Those who understand chemistry and the same. Now, we return. Uh, what's the matter? Do you understand chemistry? No, good heavens, no. I say to, uh, I say to halogen with it all. <laughs> Don't tell me you're going to take your nun's valence. Eyes are blue. Da -da 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 yeah, it's time to take the old horse down to the carbon. That's right. Anyway, he says, unfortunately, after... He says, we knew absolutely nothing about chemistry. Unfortunately, our final exam required us to find the chemical breakdown of a test tube solution given to us in a chemistry lab. Did you hear what he has to do? The chemical breakdown of a test tube solution given to us in a chemistry lab, and we knew nothing about it. An hour before the test, during our lunch break... Karpovich and I sneaked unobserved into the chem laboratory. In the back of the lab was the supply room, which, according to our advanced intelligent reports, contained a sheet of paper upon which was recorded the chemical breakdown of each solution the teacher was going to give us. Karpovich began to pick the lock on the supply room door as I valiantly guarded over the entrance to the chemistry lab to make sure no one was coming. Finally, using a jackknife and a trustworthy paper clip, Karpovich opened the lock. He went into the supply room and quickly copied the information from the answer sheet and then relocked the door as we scrambled out of the lab with no time to spare. The chemistry teacher was later amazed that Karpovich and I found the chemical breakdowns of our test tube solutions so quickly, especially since we were both renowned for our ignorance of chemistry. We merely smiled, and when asked, we told them it was, quote, the result of, well little last-minute effort when he bent the books last night. The most valuable tool among the connoisseurs of cheating was the cheat sheet. The cheat sheet was truly a miracle in miniaturization. And by the way, most uh, high school and college cheaters were way ahead of the atomic age in extremely... In fact, you know, I I've, always, I've always been surprised that people seem to not be able to accept the fact that writing the Lord's Prayer on the behind of a flea is no trick at all to a truly great cheat cheater. I've known of guys who put the entire Magna Carta, the entire Magna Carta, and added to it the Bill of Rights as well as Washington's last address to his troops, all on the top of the rubber eraser of a number two Ticonderoga pencil. And not only that, could read it with every comma in place. Miniaturization was discovered many years ago by all students who ever had trouble learning anything. By the way, it isn't that these people are dumb. They're not dumb at all. Anybody who goes to this length is extremely sharp and, in fact, often brilliant. It's just that he... That it's the challenge. Let's face it, you can easy buy tuna salad sandwiches, but it takes a certain kind of guy to go out and fight the tuna himself right down there in the sea, you know? Upon its three-by-four-inch area on this cheat sheet could be recorded the entire history of England. Should it be necessary to have this information for a history test? And I have seen that done. Much more than that, haven't you? Of course you have. Cheat sheets are easy to hide, can be hidden in a variety of sleeves, pockets, and socks. Now that's true. The, the, uh, the decline of the white crew sock also brought a, a, a rising decline, and this is a personal comment, it also brought a great decline in grades in schools. Uh, yes, the white crew sock was invaluable. You know what the white crew sock, that fuzzy white sock that you wear on the top of your white sneakers, you know, your old gray battered white sneakers? That sock was great for hiding stuff in. When they went into the business of not wearing any socks at all with sneakers, a lot of people had trouble scholastically. You know, there's a cause and effect. Uh, it says, uh, the main drawback with cheat sheets is that they can be damning evidence against you if you're ever caught with one of them by a teacher. That is true. One time, this guy in my high school Spanish class was caught pulling a cheat sheet out of his left sock. 
the teacher made him take off his sock and out dropped a dozen cheat sheets containing the conjugations of about every known verb in the Spanish language. I guess the guy figured that since he was caught anyway, he might as well reveal the whole extent of his crime. Just open up the whole way because he, he just uh, popped out his right sock and pulled out several more cheat sheets containing the English translation of all the Spanish verbs in his other sock, the left one. Getting caught at cheating was, of course, the great fear of all practitioners of the art. This is also the fear of all spies. I personally was caught only once. And what still bothers me is that I really wasn't cheating on that occasion. That's the worst part of it. That's really true. It all happened back when I was taking a TV biology class. Taking a course in TV biology meant sitting in a large auditorium with about three other knobheads watching dull lectures on the TV screen. It amounted to biology without all the fun stuff like looking through microscopes and dissecting small, protesting animals. The aisles of the auditorium were constantly patrolled by assistant teachers to make sure we didn't fall asleep or cheat. A popular method of cheating in such auditoriums was used to the click code. Hear that? Which consisted of clicking pens. You know, when you have the pick one of four answers, if one guy's got the answer, he just takes his pen out. Did you ever see this done? And he clicks it twice. He goes, that means it's the second one down from the top. If he clicks it four times, that means it's number D in the list. If he clicks it once, it's a great system. Says the only trouble is, I wasn't in on the ring that was using that code that day. And innocently, I sat there clicking my pen. Half the class flunked, and I was picked up for cheating. <laughs> So all I got to say, friends, now you see, now, 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 you just stick around. You're going to learn a lot of stuff. Come down here. Incidentally, I, I did not give you one of the best of all ploys because it's so dangerous and it really works. It's called the rubber band ploy. Infallible. It's the most, it's the, it's the most insidious form of cheating known, and it involves the use of a large rubber band. I will not give you any more clues, except to say that a friend of mine got his way through neurosurgery using that method. And he's a very highly successful practitioner now. He's worth over $12 million, and he's known as uh, the showbiz brain surgeon. He's doing quite well. Appears on TV regularly. He's been on the Johnny Carson show twice. Has a writer, two agents, and he's working on a film play. Michael Keane is playing him in the film version. And uh, I believe it's Jill St. Clair is playing uh, his wife, Julie. It's going to be an exciting theatrical season. I haven't given you that one for good reason. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the news. Oh, no.